This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We should be doing more to teach finances. We're not doing enough. And someone just happened to notice that. Stacy Brown is the author of I Will Own a Castle and the creator of Kittynomics and joins us now. Stacy, how's the day going? Oh, it's wonderful. It's a happy Tuesday. I can't complain. Let's look at something that we can probably wish kids were about to be taught when they go back to school. Kids should be taught. I'm not even sure as a parent of children I'm qualified. In fact, I don't think I am. I'm I'm not I'm not bad with money. I I don't have a ton of debt. I don't even know if I have really any debt outside of the the mortgage and the car payments, but as far as as financial literacy goes, as far as saying, "Hey, can you explain economics to me, dad?" That's not me. Yeah. I I can't do it. And seeing what you have done, I think has a lot of us scratching our heads saying, why has Stacy had to go out and do this? Why isn't this being done already? When did you sense that there was a real need for kiddinomics? Well, what happened was my daughter was um, was four, and um, my daughter's birthday is around Halloween. So it's the end of October, and we typically have a Halloween uh, or a costume birthday party for her every year. How fun is so that? So that year, I yeah, I know. <laughs> Good for her. A lot of planning for the mom. <laughs> but uh, I had asked her that year, I'm like, well, what, what do you want to be this year for Halloween or for, for your birthday? And she said to me, well, mom, I want to be a princess. I want to be Dora the Explorer and Doc McStuffins. So I said, okay, well, that's a lot of things to be for for your birthday. And she goes to me, well, Mom, don't you always tell me I could be anything I want to be? <laughs> I'm <laughs> laughing because, of course, we tell our kids every day, especially our girls, you can be whatever it is that you want to be. If you want to be the president, the prime minister, it doesn't matter. You can be it, right? Like, we always encourage our kids to be whatever they want to be. However, in this instance, I didn't mean it in that way. I didn't mean that you could be all three characters. Although, if that's what you wanted to be, that, you know, we would talk about that. But I realized then, so then I said to her, well, you know what, instead of just being a princess, how about you own a piece of Disney? And she goes to me as a four-year-old child. She says, well, great, so I can get all the toys I want. And I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't mean that. So I'm trying to explain stocks to a four-year-old. And I was like, well, if I'm having such a challenging time explaining stocks to a four-year-old, imagine all the other parents and people out there that are, are having this challenge in explaining financial literacy. See, the thing is, I've been a financial literacy chair for a few years. I've taught financial literacy in urban communities across Ontario, and I've always loved teaching financial literacy. It's my passion. But I realized that teaching financial literacy should start at the earliest age possible. Because if a child can grow up learning ABCs and one, two, threes, well, why don't they understand the concept of saving and budgeting and opening up their first bank account and getting into stocks and investing their money that they earn or from their birthday parties and investing that um, on their behalf so that they have funds going into college or university. If they grow up, with a healthy relationship towards financial literacy and understanding finances, well, then they'll just have a better 
um, relationship when it comes to financial success. That's what we're gearing our kids for is financial success. So with that, I decided with my daughter to write a book called I Will Own a Castle. Now, this book focuses on um, helping kids learn, um, just starting the discussion about financial literacy and, and helping kids learn the value and skill of investing and sa- or saving and investing. And that was written with my daughter um, Her from this that same um, scenario where I was talking to her about what she wanted to be for her birthday. So we have a little girl that is trying to decide what she wants to be. And then she decides that she wants to own a castle and what that entails in owning a castle and all the struggles that comes along with the good and the bad of owning a castle and having to save towards that. And so that's a, that book took about a year and a half to be published. Um, and so it's now available across all spectrums, um, Amazon, um, Chapters, Indigo, you name it, Barnes and Nobles, it's, it's, it's available. But I realized then I needed to take it a step further than just writing the book. Um, I, and, and then we created Kittynomics. And I love the word play on Kittynomics because it's, it's kids and economics. So Kittynomics. And our goal for Kittynomics is to dive deeper into the, the different segments of financial literacy. So our goal is to have videos on how and why to save, um, how to invest into stocks, how to budget, how, um, what's, you know, what are great kitty jobs, what are great kitty chores for your kids to do around the house, things like that, that can help parents because exactly what you said, Mike, is, is many parents across the spectrum. You may not know or may know financial literacy, but it's a tough topic to, to teach with your kids. If you don't understand financial literacy, well, how are you going to teach it to your kids? And that's the challenge. And here's the thing. With the government, financial literacy has just never been, been prevalent in our education system. I think if you can teach kids Shakespeare, which when do they need to know about Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> but you're not teaching them a life skill. Like, financial literacy is a life skill. Yeah, and you look but at the way that it goes. That. Yeah, the way that it goes. Now, we're talking with Stacy Brown, who is the author of I Will Own a Castle and the creator of Kittynomics. And we'll talk more about Kittynomics in just a little bit. I do want to get into some of the, the government changes. But you think about it. What are we always warned about? That Canada Pension Plan will not exist at some point or, or won't provide exactly. even the funds that it does right now? Or how many people have been working and you start working at a company and all of a sudden you get an email that says, hey, uh, your pension plan is here and we're deducting this amount. Go into the pension plan and select the stocks and mutual funds that you would like to have in your portfolio. And you think, I, could could you do that, well, Mrs. Financial well, Person? Exactly. Yeah, and, and you're completely lost. And, and I don't know about anybody else. I'm always worried I've picked the wrong horse because I'm pretty good at doing that when crossing the border or anything else that I try and do. And, and so you, you wonder, well, how, how does this, how does this work? So this, this is good to be starting at a young age. Plus, there's that old noise. I, I don't know what you think about teaching the value of a dollar these days, but when you go, Boop, and you pay by tapping your card, uh, the kids kind of watch that, don't they? Oh, absolutely. My daughter said to me when she was younger, we were in the dollar store, and she goes, you know, she asked me for a chocolate bar, and we don't really eat candy, so, um, but she was asking for a chocolate bar, and I said, no, I don't have the money. And she said, well, Mommy, take out the card. Where's the card? Take out the card. 
see, that's the thing. Because we are becoming a paperless society where we are not using, the, the kids are not seeing actual cash, right? So they think, well, there's a, there's a plastic card, it goes beep on the machine, and I get what I want. That's what they know and that's what they see. Yeah. So, but we have to teach them, you got to put money on that card. you got to earn the money to get on that card. And then we got to budget for the things that you want and not the things that you need. There's a difference. And so I found that just, growing, just teaching my daughters, I have two, I have, a, I have an eight-year-old and now a two-year-old, and just teaching my daughters, I, I just realized there's such a big gap right? With, we teach them so many other things, but the, the challenge of teaching them financial literacy is a hard topic to touch because you don't even realize that you are teaching them financial literacy just by living your life. Your everyday, what they see your, you do, how do you shop for groceries? How do you, you know, what do you do when you go into the store? You don't realize as parents, we are teaching them things because they're learning from how we operate. And then that's how they build their relationship towards finances and financial literacy. And so most parents think, well, don't they teach it in school? And, you know, that, like, aren't you automatically going to know? Well, they don't. And for both, right? So that's how I knew that it was such a big need in our society because I see student debt. I'm a product of student debt, um, Growing up, nobody taught me. My mom was an immigrant coming here, and, you know, her job was to put food on the table and clothes on our back. She didn't know anything about credit cards and, and, and ha- you know, budgeting and saving. She was worried about just keeping a roof over our heads, much less, you know, to go to college or university. And when I went to university, I had to pay fi- finance it through OSAP, right? And then you, 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 leave, you leave university with this big debt. If we can teach our kids prior to getting into post-secondary education that imagine you could be, you could have paid for your education in full and more. And by the time you graduate, you could have now contributed to the economy by purchasing a car or or, um, your house, building upon those life things that you need instead of where they say millennials now just live in their parents' houses and they're going backwards, not forwards, but they're, la- they're saddled with heavy student debt. There, there's, a, there's a different side to that. The, the student debt is so massive. How do you expect them to really start building their life? Yeah, when you're taking you know, hundreds of dollars out of an account to pay for that student debt, plus the interest month after month after month. We're talking with Stacy Brown. Stacy has created Kittynomics, and also check out I Will Own a Castle, which is a book that can get us all kind of started in this. But with Kittynomics, what do you try and focus on? I mean, what are the, the little things that we need to be telling our children about so that they are getting that early grasp? Well, the, the first thing I would say is, is, is saving. If we can ingrain saving their money into their brains, they will do tremendously well growing up. If we talk about it is more valuable to save our money and then invest our money into things that are profitable. So because here's the thing, we're, it's a consumerism society, right? Like we, you know, they want the latest shoe and the latest phone and the latest. So I talked to my daughter instead of saying, okay, well, let's 
you know, you want an iPhone. She's eight, so she doesn't have any phones. But let's just say in the future when she does ask me for one, and I say, okay, you want an iPhone? Okay, well, let's look at the Apple stock. So if we are going, if you need an iPhone, well, let's look at the stock of the iPhone. Let's start teaching our kids the value of the difference between the saving, the spending, and budgeting. If we can start ingraining those things into our kids from when they're little, they will have such a tremendous, tremendous platform to bounce off of um, as they grow older. So with Kittynomics, we're going to focus on saving and investing and budgeting, how to open up your first bank account. What are RESPs for your kids? What are great kitty jobs? What are great kitty chores? Because when you're asking your kids to say, okay, well, you're doing the dishes, you earn $5 a week, what do you do with that money? Do you split it into three jars, saving, spending, giving, so you know where their dollar is going? They know where their dollar is going. So when they go into a store and ask for something, then they think, can I afford this? Yes, it's a dollar, but I tell my my daughter, all dollars add up, (laughs) right? So if we can start teaching our kids these things, um, they're just going to be so set up for financial success in the future. And they'll have a more, they'll make more educated decisions towards their finances than just wanting the latest new product, right? So that's what we are going to kind of touch on. In addition to the videos of Kittynomics we'll have, we're going to be on our website that we're developing, will be activities to go along with that. Our goal is to have Kittynomics as a resource for the education board across Canada to use as a tool um, when discussing financial literacy, especially for the month of December. Did you, uh, November, did you know that November is financial literacy month in Canada? Had no idea. Yep. See? They don't, they don't talk about it. They don't, nobody, nobody talks about that. So we can celebrate the month of November um, with Financial Literacy Month, talking about financial literacy skills and building upon those skills and resources that you can use and what, what needs to be done. Let's talk about student debt. Let's talk about these issues that are heavily affecting our children as they grow older. As I said, you can teach your kids or, or our kids Shakespeare, we should be teaching them life skills of financial literacy skills. Well said. Stacy. thank you for what you are doing, and thanks so much for all the time today. I hope we get to check in again. Thank you so much, Mike, for giving us this platform to, 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 to spread this across the board. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. We'll talk again for sure. Stacy Brown, author of I Will Own a Castle and the creator of Nomics. Stuff we need to teach. It's not just... Oops. If you have kids who play sports, grandkids who play sports, there's something a little different this year. You usually get asked to sign things like consent forms. You usually get asked to look through a code of conduct. That's that's pretty general if you're playing sports at a high enough level, even high school sports will require you to do that. I got a text yesterday from a certain high school student who was about to start high school football, and they said, Dad, can you go online and sign the consent form? This year, though, it is a little bit different because Ontario has passed the concussion safety bill that was created through Rowan's Law. Rowan was a rugby player. 17 years old, and 
She was playing in the Ottawa area, John McRae Secondary School. And she was tackled during a game, and she hit her head on the ground. And when you go back and look at it, sure, maybe there were some signs that she had suffered a concussion. But they didn't jump out. It wasn't like she was going home and complaining of a horrible headache. It wasn't like she was going home and sitting in a dark room. She was a pretty tough individual, by all accounts. And so she decided, you know what? I can still play. And four days after that first head injury, she was tackled. She hit her head and neck on the ground, and she died. And the feeling is if there had been a concussion code of conduct at that time, and her father has has been very upfront about this, he believes that her death could have been prevented. So what is a concussion code of conduct? Well, no tolerance for dangerous play is there. So someone who intentionally tries to injure someone. Um, agreeing not to hide symptoms. Things like if a concussion is suspected, the athlete is removed from play and does not return. In a lot of ways, that's done now. We have concussion protocols In the OHL, as the Knights begin training camp, you've got a lot of eyes on that game. If someone is hit, they will be taken off. They will be assessed by professionals. And if it is deemed that they shouldn't continue playing or there is even a little bit of doubt, they don't come back into the game. And so this is now looking to extend to everywhere. Everywhere in this province. It doesn't matter if you're four years old playing four-on-four soccer with no goalies or if you are playing basketball at OFSA or you are playing AAA hockey at Silver Stick or you're playing London Minor football. It doesn't matter. This Rowan's Law exists. And it exists to try and make other kids safe, to try and keep from happening what happened to Rowan from happening to anybody else. And will it work? Well, why why wouldn't it be in place? Well, why not give it a shot? Will there be children, athletes who fall through the cracks? Yes, there will be. There always are. I can tell you that right now. But the fact that this does exist, the fact that you're getting that information out, that's a good thing. And so we want to take a look at this in greater detail as far as how it will be put in place and what sorts of things are being done. So we'll talk to a couple of organizations about this, but today we get an opportunity to talk with the Ontario Minor Hockey Association. And we get an opportunity to look at you know some of the initiatives that they have been dealing with even before now. Because it's not like Rowan's Law has come into existence and everyone has said, okay, good, now finally... We can address concussions. Oh, it's it's about time. This has gone back in minor hockey, for instance, a long, long way. Think about minor hockey jerseys that have stop signs on the back. That's not a new initiative, but you know what that's designed to do? That's designed to help prevent injury. That's designed to help prevent checking from behind, which can lead to hitting a head on the boards, which, yes, can lead to something like a concussion. 
You know, sometimes it leads to broken arms or shoulder injuries, but yes, it can also lead to things like a concussion. So there have been measures in place and they have been looking to make changes because we're just starting to understand concussions over the past 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. There's been research done, but every day that goes by, you've got a little bit more that you begin to understand. And we know a little bit more. The problem is, and this will always be a problem, if you hurt your arm, if you fall down on the sidewalk and you scrape your arm, it's going to leave a mark. And you can look down and go, whew, hurt my arm there. And it will scab over, and eventually it will start to heal. And you can go, oh, look, my arm doesn't hurt that much anymore. Looks like that scab is healing, and then the scab goes away, and your arm looks pretty normal. At worst, you might have a faint scar. When it's inside your head, you can't look. You can't see the damage. And that's been one of the biggest concerns because sports, in so many ways, is built on Courage is built on being tough enough to play, is built on, you know, and you can call it whatever you want, that character that says, I'm going to do everything it takes to win. And a lot of times, those are the people who wind up being incredibly successful. And that's an attitude that has been present in sports for so long now. And it's not an attitude that necessarily needs to leave, but everybody's got to be able to do that self-check and say, yeah, am, am I okay? Rowan was somebody who may have known about concussions, but at the same time didn't want to let her team down. Four days later, she played again. She was injured, and it cost her her life. So that's where we get Rowan's Law. Now we have an opportunity to take a look at this, courtesy of the executive director of the Ontario Minor Hockey Association, and that just happens to be Tony Martindale. Um, let me, let me just check one thing. Um, we have Tony Martindale with us. Yes. But let me correct one thing. He is the executive director of Alliance Hockey. Tony, did I say OMHA? I think I did. That, that is okay. All right. Well, executive director of Alliance Hockey. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, no problem. Mike. Concussions, as we were talking, are not necessarily a new conversation. How long would you say this has been going on in minor hockey? Oh, it's been going on for quite some time. I think that uh, we're very fortunate that Hockey Canada has been a leader in this area and that we've, uh, you know, we've probably in the last seven or eight years have, uh, I would say, hockey's ahead of some of the other sports in terms of uh, diagnosis of concussions and return-to-play protocol, that sort of thing. How difficult is it to get that information out when you're looking at something as wide-ranging as a hockey association? Well, it's, it's difficult. Uh, we knew this was coming probably two years out. Um, having said that, uh, we had about uh, 14 days to put in a process where uh, every parent was gonna, and child were going to review the uh, Rowan's Law uh, information, uh, which is really educating on, um, you know, concussions and the uh, symptoms, that sort of thing. So um, we knew it was coming, but it was a quick turnaround. And that's something that we have to make sure happens is that every uh, parent and child goes through the uh, Rowan's Law uh, education of concussions and diagnosis, that sort of thing. 
So a code of conduct has been created. How does it get used? Um, well, it gets used by the um, like the association or really the gatekeepers. They have to make sure that every parent, uh, you know, signs up, acknowledges that they've taken the uh, that they've reviewed the information. Um, you know, so I think the the first step is you know is a um, an awareness to everyone about concussions and and how serious they are, and that there's a proper uh, diagnosis and return to play protocol, all those things. So um, we've come a long ways uh, from that eight nine years ago where we were, and 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 people really didn't know about concussions um, and. Uh, probably played a lot of times uh, when they shouldn't have. I think that's in some cases, um, you know, parents, because of a lack of education, let it happen. We're talking with Tony Martindale, Executive Director of Alliance Minor Hockey, and we're talking about the implementation of Rowan's Law this year, and we looked at some of the things in Rowan's Law, zero tolerance for dangerous play, that intent to injure. I mean, that used to be a strategy 40 50, 30 years ago, when you look at, at the way that things have evolved, Tony, is that something that is almost gone from minor hockey? Well, I think it's, you know, it's an ongoing process. I mean, you're continuously trying to change the uh, culture and, you know, the way we were coached is a lot different than we want our coaches to coach today. So, the, you know, that's something that's ongoing. And, you know, we all remember the Scott Stevens hit on uh, Eric Lindros and, you know, and, and how everyone thought that was a great hit and changed the series and all that stuff. But, you know, today and what we know today, uh, that wasn't a great hit. You know, that's something that uh, isn't tolerated and, and would uh, – it was a good hit then, but it isn't today. And those, those are the types of things that, uh, you know, we need to get out of the game. And in terms of – of knowing symptoms and, and kids being able to say, you know what, I, I don't feel quite right. How key is it to get that message out there to parents and, and certainly even young kids? Yeah, I think it's important. You know, what's important is that, um, you know, when a, when, they, when a parent sees the symptoms or a child comes to them, and not even might not even be a parent, it might be a coach, it might be the manager, then get a second opinion and, and you know, go and, and seek uh, some medical advice and make sure that um, you're erring on the side of caution rather than um, than just playing. And, that you know, that's the biggest uh, message that we have to get across to everyone is that um, we are on the side of caution. Tony Martindale with us, Executive Director of Alliance Minor Hockey. As we look at the implementation of Rowan's Law, but as we said, there have been information sessions about concussions there has been concussion awareness for a long long time this just kind of puts it into an actual law and there will be a concussion code of conduct does it require a signature this year by parents and and kids yes it does and you know so um with the quick turnaround by uh the ministry of tourism uh, we didn't have a time to um you know take care of it electronically so it's onerous but um you know every uh, we've got to go paper until next year till we can get things uh, uh done you know with technology uh, some have done it 
uh, on their own, but we just didn't have the time with this, uh, with the way that it was implemented. So yes, uh, to answer your question, uh, we have to have a, a parent and a child signature um, for every participant. Okay. When we look at the start of minor hockey season, how long does it take to prepare for the moments you're heading into now? Because a lot of teams are already on the ice. Yeah, they are. And so really, the um, when we were in Farnaby, it was mid-June, and um, the uh, what we had to have was anyone registering after that point. So we had you know spring tryouts and things like that where registration had already taken place. Uh, what we've done, and and you know, through the OHF, is uh, we think that's an issue, and that everybody should go through the uh, the protocol and the uh, code of conduct, uh, just because uh, if you've got half of the uh, players in a current season doing it and the other half not, uh, you know, what happens to that player who hasn't gone through it? So we feel strongly that every player needs to go through it uh, prior to the start of the season. How excited are you for the actual start of the season? Well, we're looking for we always look forward to it, you know, and it's always uh, uh, it's always great to see that enthusiasm and uh, you know see the the kids get on the ice for the first time. So, um, you know, that seems earlier and earlier every year, but I, you know, there's there's uh, things going on there as well to you know for hockey to start later and end later. So. That's probably uh, stay tuned for another day, Mike. Oh yeah, okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll hold you that because and and how often do meetings like that come up where you're looking at not necessarily things within the sport but the sport itself? How many months should it run and and when should it start? Is that something that does come up regularly? Uh, well, it comes top down. So you know we uh, we meet collectively as uh, EDs from across Canada and. Uh, October and then again in uh, April and you know those are times when we look at you know doing what's best for the game and um, you know and that's one of the things that is a concern is uh, you know the um, you know looking at you know how has the game evolved uh, you know our spring tryouts good should we go back to fall tryouts uh, what's best for the participant and uh, you know that happens um, on a regular basis now, a couple times a year. So um, you know, and I know that that's a hot item. So anything novice to Adam now, uh, starting 2021, uh, will have to start in the fall. Hmm. So, uh, which is I think a good thing. And and we want to get away from school where decisions are made at the start of school. You know, like. That put you know a player should be able to go out, be evaluated, and not released until at least after the first week of school. Interesting. Okay, well that is a conversation for another day, Tony. <laughs> keep up the great work, and thank you so much for the talk about concussions and signing the concussion code of conduct through Rowan's Law. Mike, thanks for get, helping us get the word out there. Have a great Tuesday. Yes, you too, Mike. Take care. That's Tony Martindale, Executive Director of Alliance Hockey. So Rowan's Law has come into existence, and again, a lot of this stuff has been done at certain levels and in certain organizations for a long time. Rowan's Law simply blankets the province and says, this has to be done everywhere. If you're going to play a sport, injuries are a part of sport, always will be. 
and they can certainly hurt the enjoyment of sport. Over the weekend, the Indianapolis Colts had their quarterback, Andrew Luck, retire. He's 29 years old. Why did he retire? Well, if you had been dealing with torn rib cartilage and a lacerated kidney and a shoulder that almost couldn't throw a football for a year and a half and now ankle injuries and a concussion, you'd be thinking, what am I doing this for? You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 